The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I grew up just outside of Chicago, 211th Street to be exact, and the minister back in my youth told a story that has stuck with me. It's about an older, as he told it, man who met a young boy. In this day and age, we make it gender neutral, but they knew each other. So the older person said to the young person, he said, well, how's life going? And the young person said, oh, it's going great because I just got accepted to law school and my parents and grandparents said that they would help pay the expenses. And the older person said, that's wonderful. I wish you well. And after you graduate from law school, what are you going to do? And the younger person said, I'm going to get myself a job with a law firm. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to establish a good reputation. And I'm going to make money and start saving a lot of that money. And the older person said, that's good. And then what are you going to do? Well, after I get out of law school, he said, and I've uh, established my practice and started to make, make the money, I'm going to get married. And we'll have children. We'll give them the best possible family and home life that we can. And the older person smiled and he said, you know, that's great. There's not much more in life, more important in life than a good family and home situation. I wish you very, very well on that. And then what are you going to do? Well, he had his whole life planned out. He said, well, and then uh, after we've raised the children and they're, they're off on their own, which I used to think the emptiness was a terrible time, but I've discovered it's actually a great time when they're off on their own and uh, we've got this money in the bank, uh, I'll retire and we'll travel around and see things that we haven't seen and do things that we haven't been able to do because we were working and raising the kids. And the older person said, that's great. I'm retired myself and there's few times in life better than retirement. And then what? Well, the young person who had had his life all planned out was stymied by that question and he stammered a little bit and finally he said well I, I, I guess I'll die and the older person said and then what I moved it because I don't want you to miss this I'm here this morning, right here now, and you're here this morning, you. And I don't mean, as my Texas son-in-law says, all y'all, I don't mean Gamainda. I mean you, fill in your name. You are here right now because someone in the past cared enough about you to lead you to Jesus. That is so important, I'll say it again. You are here right now because someone in the past cared enough about you to lead you to Jesus. Whatever your situation in life happens to be, whatever your age happens to be, 
whatever the theological ability that you have and will have, the answer to the question, and then what? At all times is Jesus. He says in John chapter 6, 37, this is the text of the sermon. This is the verse for chapel today. Whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Now those are the words of the King James language, and it is the King James language uh, that in which I learned the Bible. Many of you learned the Bible according to the King James version. We are, as you may well know, observing the 400th anniversary of the King James Version. And by the by, if you haven't noticed it, today is also the 150th anniversary of the beginning of the Civil War. But Jesus says, whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Who was it that led you to Jesus? I know in my own life, it was my parents. My parents had me baptized on January 26th, 1947. And I've always been a little bit embarrassed by the fact that they had me baptized at home. I fear that they were ashamed to take this new baby out to be seen by other people. <laughs> Truth is that home baptisms were much more common back then. And after my parents were grandparents, aunts, uncles, the extended family, it was the congregation, St. Paul's Lutheran Church and St. Paul's Lutheran School that cared enough about me personally to lead me to Jesus, to fulfill his promise in my life that whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And then after college, I came here, 1969, and what is it that happens here? Previous generations, going a long way back, established this seminary for no other basic reason that they cared enough about those who would come after them to establish this seminary so that we could get deeper and deeper and deeper into Jesus and his invitation. I mean, really, that's all the seminary is about, fulfilling the promise that whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So who was it in your life? Put the picture of that person in your mind. Maybe it's a group photo, have it in your mind. What were the experiences that you had because somebody cared enough to lead you to Jesus? What kind of Jesus is this who invites us to come to him? Well, once again, to answer that question, I draw on the previous generation. One of the dearest passages in my life comes from a previous generation, from Dr. Martin Luther, his explanation to the second article. I believe that Jesus Christ, and a footnote, I believe you are responsible for your own salvation. You can't earn your salvation. That's a gift of grace, we know that very well. 
But that gift is something that has been given to you to be a faithful steward of. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, nobody knows the trouble I feel. Yeah, Jesus does, because he knows what it's like to be in your skin. True God and true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, my boss, my director, my professor, my authority figure, my everything is my Lord, who has redeemed me? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm a seminarian, I'm a professor, I go to church every Sunday, we even went and visited the seminary. I'm a lost and condemned creature. <laughs> the kind of life that we live, a life graced by God, leads us to think, well, maybe, how should we say it? I thank thee, that, Lord, that I'm not like other people are. <laughs> the uh, Pharisee in chapel. Uh, but it was the tax collector in the back who said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, which is why we are here today and why we do what we do. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver or CDs or a recovered economy, not with a home in the nicest subdivision, not with a new car, not with good family life, not with a healthy marriage, not with a wonderful theological education, and perhaps even a diploma on the wall. Not that any of that is to be despised, but it wasn't with any of that, not with silver or gold, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own. I haven't met anybody in life, and I don't think that person exists who doesn't want to belong someplace. They want to find their, as they say, niche. Where do I belong? It's with him who welcomes us that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Here's the answer to then what? To be his own, to live under him in his kingdom, to serve him. We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, you know that. But 2, 2, 8, and 9, 2, 8, and 9, by grace are ye saved, and so on. But 2, 10, to do the good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We're here to work. When I was baptized, when you were baptized, you weren't zapped up into heaven immediately because God left us here to work. And there's no greater work than extending that invitation, whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, even as he is risen from the dead. Even as he is risen from the dead. Luther says that if we don't preach the resurrection, we have not presented the gospel. I often hear sermons when I'm teaching class, Jesus died for your sins. Well, that's very true. It's a sine qua non of salvation, but it's not the end of the story. I've heard too many too many sermons where Jesus is left in the tomb. 
You and I are people of resurrection, people of hope. That's what our profession is about, giving hope. That's what our personal lives are about, giving hope, and we radiate that. Even as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity, this is most certainly true. This is the Jesus that people brought me to. And you consult that picture in your mind. This is the Jesus they brought you to. The Concordia Seminary Magazine had a photo in it, last issue that I love. My oldest daughter Elizabeth, her husband Darren, and two grandchildren, uh, Christian and Connor, were visiting us last September. And their visit coincided with the opening of this 172nd school year. And they decided that they would come to the opening service. And so little Connor, who then was about two and a half years old, drew the duty of walking with Opa to the chapel. And I put out my hand and, and Connor, two and a half years old, took my hand and grandparents know, oh wow, can't describe that wonderful feeling. So we were walking up there and little Connor pointed up to the top of the outer wall and he says, Opa, cross. Well, he didn't actually say that. I have translated it into adult for your benefit. Opa, cross. And I said, Connor, that is a big cross. No, Opa, little cross. What do you mean it's a little cross? I am the self-exalted, pompous, pharisaical president of this seminary. It's a big cross. I didn't say it quite that way. <laughs> He'll learn it. <laughs> I says, uh, oh, Connor, that's really, it is a big cross. No, Opa, that's a little cross. Now, why did, why did he, first of all, go to the cross? He could have looked at people, he could have looked at professors, he could have looked at students, he looked, could have looked at trees, he could have looked at grass, he could have looked at a million things, but he pointed at the cross. Because a previous generation, his parents, care enough about him to lead him to welcoming Jesus. And you know, I think he's right too about the size of the cross. When you're younger, cross is a more academic thing. As we get older, we understand that the suffering and the sacrifice we make for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ is ever more important and it gets ever bigger. The cross gets bigger as we get older. And I think for so many of us, and God willing for all of us, sooner or later, the greatest cross that we carry is to take the time and make provision so that the next generation can be led to Jesus. Psalm 145 says, one generation shall declare thy mighty works to another and shall proclaim thy mighty deeds. God is keeping that promise and he is keeping that promise right on target every time someone cares enough about somebody else to lead them to Jesus. Closing story. Uh, Dr. Arnold Kuntz was 
president of the Pacific Southwest District of our Synod, and he wrote a devotion in which he said, life narrows down. Now when you're younger, life is opening up. When you're a theological student at the seminary, life and ministry is opening it up. That's all great, go for it. Maximize your learning, maximize your experiences, go for it. But times start coming when it narrows down. Life narrows down, don't we know it? And there in the narrow place, stands Jesus. The answer to the question then what? Is at all times and in all places, Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. And he says, whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. We stand for prayer.